<laughs> oh, BG. Finally. Let me do my... Excuse me. <clears throat> Finally. Finally. It's time to celebrate BG. Yes. Finally. BG. Celebrate. And we're not talking about a win in football. The nightmare is over. The pain of six wins, only six wins, is over. The, the absolute lack of leadership is over. The nightmare is over. And I'm not talking about the end of the football season. We still have got we still got five games left to go. But the person driving the ship has been tossed out. The nightmare is over. The wagon has gone in to the beautiful swampy land. A bowling green. It has crashed hard. Mike Jenks is out as coach of the Bowling Green State University. Doing the happy dance right now. And who was it that said on Friday's show if Mike Jenks lost this game, he would be fired? This guy. Who said that he had to have won? He had to win six of the la- the five of the next six games to save his job. Me. Who said that this guy was a failure in recruiting? He's done a lot of good things for this community. But but finally, the administration and the boosters have had enough. And Mike Jenks is out as head coach of Bowling Green State University. It's a good day to be a Falcon. It really is. It really is. It, now I can finally wear my hat and wear my stuff with pride now. Because we've got we've got Carl Polini to ride in this ship until the end of the year. I'll give you my take on him. Three upsets this past weekend in college football. We'll talk about that. While the Browns blow up on Sunday and the Jackets struggle in Tampa. It's a cool, brisk Tuesday night. And it's time for all Andy Elford right here on the Anchor Network. Whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Now. However you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me tonight, thank you for tuning into the program. Guess who's back? All Andy Elford. 24 runs in the span. We're going to get shut out. All the time. 
Gambino! Yeah, hit to a home run! Choo-choo, it's time for all Andy Alfred. Oh, I love you guys, and welcome in to this Tuesday edition, the 16th of October, 2018. I am your host that goes great with tuna and toast, the one and only Andy Alfred, coming to you from the Man Cave Studios in Toledo, Ohio, as you are listening to me via the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, Stitcher, however you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program. It is truly a pleasure to be with you tonight. Got a lot to get into, a long show tonight, I'm going to tell you right now. So if you are just going to listen just for certain segments of this program, I'm going to let you know it's going to be a long show tonight because of what has happened in Bowling Green over the past, the last 48 hours. And... You'll hear my take on that for, in just a little bit, but uh, lots to get into. Like I said, we're going to recap the Blue Jackets and their struggles in Tampa. We'll talk a little bit about the walleye home, the walleye season opener, and as well as tonight's tips in the NBA, as well as breaking down the struggles that are the Browns and the rest of the NFL this past week, as well as the MLB playoffs. But you could be a part of the show always by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Elford. It is at all Andy Elford. And you could, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, what are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button and pass this show along. This is going to be a great night tonight. A lot to get into. So let's dive right on into it. One and six. Six and 27. That is the final record. For one, Mr. Mike Jenks as the head coach of the Bowling Green State University. 6-26. Four wins in two years. Four, six wins in his three-year career. And he is out as head coach of Bowling Green. I have said this so many times. On this program. I have said this so many times on this program. It needed. It didn't want to be done. It needed to be done. It has to be done. It had to be done. And it finally happened. And it came on homecoming weekend. I said this. I said this on Friday's show. If he did not win the game on Saturday against Western Michigan... He would lose his job. And it showed it on Saturday. Bowling Green played one of the best games they've had all season. All season. And because of Jinx's recruiting. See, a lot of people don't think about, you know, they think that the players should take the responsibility for the coaches losing, losing this game. That's not true. That's not true. Jenks recruited these kids. The kids get better and better as the game goes on. And the fact that he recruited most of these kids, most of these kids, it's it's just unbelievable. And it sh- it's been showing it the last few years. We have never been competitive with any team. When we lost to an FBS school last year, 
when we lost to the FBS school last year, I knew something was not right. It didn't feel right. And then getting absolutely destroyed by the University of Toledo, not once, not twice, not three, but four damn years in a row. In his tenure. And the games weren't even close in these last four years. Not even close in these last four years. The fact that this guy still had a job, it was just absolutely amazing. When your recruiting class doesn't show up, you have out of the out of the five hundred out of the excuse me out of the eighty five kids that you have recruited, and only six of them show up this past year. That's something. That tells you something right there. That absolutely tells you something right there. Okay? When your defensive coordinator, your old defensive coordinator, not the new one, not Pelini, I'll get to Pelini in just a second. When he gets caught with sexual allegations against him, and Jake's defending him, and then the administration has to remove him, that tells you something. The fact is this. He said it best in the interview and the press conference a few years ago. A few weeks ago, excuse me. You know, the this book is, op- is, is written out. And the chapters are being written. And when the book is closed, you can finally say what you want to say. And I'm finally saying what I want to say. Mike Jenks is the absolutely worst coach in Bully Green history. A great line of coaches. Dito Babers, now with Syracuse. Fantastic coach. Dave Clausen with Wake Forest. Absolutely a great coach. Greg Brandon, a great coach for the Bully Green. For Bully Green. Oh, and a certain guy by the name of Urban Meyer, who coached two years, got his start in Bully Green. Went to Utah. Went to Florida. Now he's with Ohio State. This. He is. He needs to stick with high school football. And he needs to stick with that. He said he was an offensive coordinator with Texas Tech. I don't believe that. He was an absolutely horrible coach. Bowling Green had to get rid of him, and I am so glad they got rid of him. I commend Mooseburger. I commend the Boosters. I commend you, the fans, for standing up, standing up and saying, well, you know what? I don't think he should be the great coach. Because he, he's not. He's a horrible coach. He has been a horrible coach. And I am so glad that the local media picked it up. I give credit to Dave Briggs. I give credit to from Nick Polotsky from the Blade. I give credit to George Strack. I give credit to to Joe Nugent. I give credit to Anthony Bellino. I give credit to everybody who exposed this fraud. This guy is an absolute joke to the university. He was an absolute joke. 
He did a lot of good things for the community. I will give you credit for that. I will give him a lot of credit for that. Bringing the community together for this team. Bringing the community together for football. Bringing the community, the kids together for the with the players to help the help the youth game go on. I give you credit. I give him credit for that. I will get that as much as I'll give him. He was never, in my opinion, he was never the right man for the job. Never was. He was a fit that they needed, the piece that they needed at the time. And yes, some people say, well, he's the fall down man, you know, and Mooseburger should, you know, the AD, when he got hired by Chris Kingston, and blah, 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 blah. That's right. Kingston was the man that hired him. Mooseburger decides, Mooseburger replaces Kingston. Mooseburger believes the boosters, believes the fans, believes that the revenue was going down, believes that the ticket sales were going down. So, there you go. Right there. And the product on the field proved it. It absolutely proved it. There is tons of bright spots in this team, and he did not see it. Andrew Clare, great running back. He will play on Sundays if he gets healthy. And I'll get to that in just a second. Jared Deggie, a fantastic quarterback. Fantastic player. Derek Pudabong, wide receiver. Fantastic player. Quentin Morris, a great player. I can see him on Sunday too. He could not capitalize on these young kids. He's the one that's recruiting these kids. And he just pushes them to the side. He focused in on these kids. He focused in a majority of his team. And he did not take any precaution on the defensive end of the football. Because young defenses are inexperienced. And it proved it against Western Michigan. And let's get into that game. Okay, let's get into this past Saturday. Homecoming at BGSU was Western Michigan. Two years removed from a MAC championship. Okay, let's get into this. BG was running at all cylinders for this game. And you could tell that Jenks was playing for his job in this game. Absolutely playing for this job. I saw it. He knew it. Most of you, the fans, knew it. He was playing for his job in this game. And the the lack of recruiting showed it. It absolutely showed it in that game. Absolutely showed it. Saying that he could, well, we could recruit. We could recruit. You could see where Buffalo is and blah, 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 blah. When you're recruiting these young kids that aren't getting the job done, you know, I know BG is not the top tier recruiting spot. It's not an Alabama. It's not an Ohio State. But, you know, if you go to Bowling Green, you're guaranteed to at least play. You're guaranteed to at least play and maybe even start. 
Whereas if you go to Ohio State or Alabama, you're sitting on the bench for at least two years and maybe, just maybe, you get an opportunity. And Jace never saw that. He had the the flat he had the flashers on. Straight on. And Bowling Green was running on full cylinders in this game. They were playing tremendous. At the half, they were up. For the first time against an FBS opponent, they were up against Western Michigan. And then the second half started. And it just all fell apart for Bowling Green. Their defense was not, was young and tired and gassed. The fourth quarter alone, they were tired. They were on their, they were bent over. They were trying to catch their breath. They couldn't catch their breath. And that shows lack of recruiting. You And that shows also lack of leadership. These kids, these kids are playing, you know, for their, for an academic career. To be, to have the degree and to be on the field on Sunday. And to me, they showed, in my opinion, they showed that Jenks was not the right man. They showed to me that, you know, that they were gassed. They were absolutely beaten. They were, they were destroyed. They were beaten down. They were tired. And Western Michigan made them pay. And let and let Bowling Green let them back into the game and let them score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to win the game. And Daggy throwing the interception in the fourth quarter late killed it. Absolutely killed it. As Western Michigan beat Bowling Green on homecoming. 42-35. to Wozniak for Western Michigan. 22 for 37. 266 in the air. Two TDs. Two INTs in the game. And it was two INTs that the defense really needed. That defense was very, very good. He also carried the ball for 40 yards. Seven attempts, 40 yards. Bellamy, 24 carries for 145 yards. No touchdowns. Bogan, 15 carries. 75 yards. Four touchdowns in the game. He walked right into the end zone four times. Watson, four catches for 60 yards, one TD. Andrew Clare, six catches for 80 yards, six carries for eight, 80 yards, one TD. He got popped in the game, a lower ankle injury. And um, what I'm hearing, he will be out for this week's game against Ohio. Um, we'll see. Uh, but Ryan Hargrove stepping up. Filling in that role, four carries for four cat, four carries for thirty-four yards, one TD. Scotty Miller, two hundred and six yards receiving. That is the first time a Bowling Green player has had over two hundred yards receiving since two thousand and sixteen. That says a lot. Quint Morris, two catches, thirty-one yards, one TD. Breakdown looks like this. 
Western Michigan had 33 first downs to Bowling Green's 19th in 19 first downs. In third down completions, Western Michigan 17 7 for 16, Bowling Green 4 for 10. 548 yards of total offense for Western Michigan. Bowling Green 511. 379 on the in the air, 132 on the ground, and the majority of that was to Scotty Miller. Western Michigan, 266 to the air, 282 on the ground. Penalties, 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 penalties killed Bowling Green. Again, nine penalties for 85 yards. A total of four turnovers in the game, one by Daigie, three by the off, by Andrew Clare and Ryan Hargrove. Two for Western Michigan in the game. So... The fact that they lost at homecoming was the final nail in the coffin for Mike Jenks. And you can tell, we will play his press conference from Saturday. Okay? We're going to play the press conference from Saturday. This was Jenks' last comments to the media as a Bowling Green head coach. And this is Mike Jenks' press conference from Saturday. setbacks is this by far the toughest one to take uh, tough loss they're all tough but this was this was a um, you know one that um, we had a, uh, our moments we had opportunities to to put the game away um, you know the the sack fumble was was probably that moment I think we had maybe a 14 point lead at that point uh, we had the ball at midfield and and really uh, um, you know we go even if we get a field goal out of that drive um, they've got to have to continue to throw the ball. You know, they have to continue to, to and um, and really to this point, that's kind of one of the things that we've done a decent job of on a defensive uh, side of the ball is, is uh, being aggressive and, and playing good pass defense. We were getting some pressure. Um, we get that turnover, and I think you'll notice they got to the ground game and really tried to slow that game down and really wear on the defense. And at the end of the day, that was our um, – that was – that was a play. That was a, there are a lot of plays, but that that definitely um, played a factor. What were your thoughts on the fumble? Were they stayed inbound somehow and then they picked it up and then ran the first score? Let's just give me one break. Let's just catch one break. Uh, but you make your breaks, Nick. You, you make your breaks. Uh, those kids battled. They played hard. We, you know, we got the ball back. We go all the way downfield. Um, you know, we got a one-on-one matchup. They bring all out blitz. Um, you know. Um, didn't have time to get it off, uh, you know. So we'll go back and we'll look at the video and we'll learn. How agonizing is it, especially over the last two weeks when you've had those chances to mm-hmm. either take the lead or preserve a lead? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Um, and, and the thing about it is, is it, you know, in, in the first half, we made those plays that we haven't been making in that, okay, it's 14-7, we've got the ball, we can take it down here, and we can, we can score, drain this clock out, and get a touchdown. You know, that's what good teams do. We went down, we did it. Uh, in the second half, um, you know, that third quarter, we, um, you know, again, I've got to go back and look at it. Um, you know, we penalties, uh, delay a game, uh, little things like that uh, you can't do. When we are ahead of the ahead of the change and we're on time as offense, um, I think we're fairly decent. Uh, when we're not, uh, we struggle. Tyler Jarrett's played today, Coach Blue. 
Uh, Derek, made, he made some plays. Uh, he, he made some plays today. 206 yards and two touchdowns for Scotty today. How impressed were you with him? Uh, you know, Scotty's had a great year. Um, you know, those two guys are, are performing uh, like they practice. The first four times Western got in your territory, defense, no, no points. Um, do you feel that they set you up enough to win this game? Uh, you know, we play complimentary football. We set ourselves. Our team played off of each other. Um, you know, offense did the things they needed to do, and the defense did the things they needed to do. And then, from a special team standpoint, uh, special teams didn't beat us. And and I thought that uh, hats off to Matt. I thought he came in uh, and in his first start and did a heck of a job. And some of his punts again um, gave us a chance. Did the defense just have to run square down? Nah, we, we, you know, that's kind of been our Achilles heel. Um, depth's an issue there. Uh, time of possession, uh, yeah, 38 minutes. 38 minutes. And, again, 28-14, um, uh, we convert, kick a field goal. they got to continue to press. they got to continue to throw the football. Point. And then at that point, they decided, hey, you know what, we're going to run at you and we're going to wear you down. And they did. Time of possession can be overwhelmed sometimes, but in this case, do you feel that? Like uh, definitely. You, you, you could tell at the end of the game that uh, uh, those tackles that we had been making early in the ball game, uh, they were kind of running through us a little bit. Uh, and it's a catch-22, you know, because you sit there as, as, as an offense, and do you, do you continue to be aggressive? Do you continue to attack? Because uh, you go back, and, and you, you, I told you these guys were similar to Miami from a defensive standpoint. Um, they were, and you know, those are some of the things that we – tried to do against Miami and, and, you know, didn't work very well. So tonight we wanted to come out, we wanted to attack, we wanted to push the ball down the field, um, and we were able to have some success. And that in turn run, opens up your run game. So uh, do you play with some pace, do you play with some tempo when you hit these explosive plays? I mean, how many one play with a couple one-play touchdown drives, right? That's great, that's, that's fine, but the flip side of that is you're putting your defense right back out there. So. Do you have any idea on Andrew? I do not. I will go. Uh, I will go uh, and visit with him. And the uh, he was back out there, so uh, uh, that was a positive. Uh, I know. It, I don't. Be, it's not believed to be season-ending or anything like that. So again, haven't spoke with the trainers yet. We'll we'll see. But he was out there, and I think he had a boot on. We walking around a little bit. Um, so we'll see once we get out of here. How much did that change your? Not at all. We've got we've got some some backs that can play. Um, and I think, um, you know, seven and six and 28, uh, um, yeah, they, uh, they perform well in his absence. Why the change on that Hail Mary at quarterback? Uh, Grant can make it reach. And, you know, Grant's got one of those guys that can throw it 65, 70 yards. So uh, uh, and that's, not two's, uh, that's not two's strength at this moment. We'll get in the weight room, but at this moment, that's not his strength. So two straight weeks of uh, good offensive performance, a lot of points. Um... I just want to win. I just want to win, and and um, you know, you know, they're getting better. We're getting better. Um, you know, defense is getting stops. Uh, we're, you know, we're doing the things necessary to continue to improve and continue to grow. But uh, yeah, just want to win games. Past two weeks, you were down three last week with a chance to potentially tie or take the lead. This week, had the lead. Well, What's the final piece of that? Finishing, Nick. Finishing, and and in those moments, uh, um, as a play caller, coming up with the right play, uh, and give you giving your team the best chance to be successful. 
um, they've shown that they're not going to quit. Um, and what we've got to do is make sure that uh, we're giving our playmakers opportunity to make plays. Um, so we, we'll continue to do that. And uh, we were close today. Uh, I think um, we just almost went 90, 90 yards and tied the thing up. So um, one play away. So that was Mike Jenks' press conference. Um, his, his final press conference. And you heard him. He just wanted to win. Well, Mike, the the winning stops. You're done. Because uh, Boosberger decides to pull the cord on Mike Jenks. And he is one of the driving pieces of this. And... Um, he was fired on Sunday. Uh, a lot of hatred as Jenks and Boosberger were going at it, apparently. Uh, what I was told in the um, in the athletic offices. A lot of a lot of comments, a lot of question a lot of questions towards one another about why they got the position. But Jenks is removed. He he had two years left on his deal. Uh He'll, he's going to sit for two years and make over five hundred. He's going to make over a million dollars for sitting for two years. Um, he just wants to win, he said, in the press conference on Saturday. Well, well, Mike, you had your chance, and lack of play calling, lacking a lack of good recruitment. It showed it, buddy. It absolutely showed it. And Mike Jenks is now now out of a job for the Bowling from the Bowling Green State University. Um, the next audio you're going to hear is the Monday presser. Now, Mooseberger will be first on the mic. He will be talking about what happened. Um, he will also discuss um, the situation. He'll, he'll take a little couple of media questions. But you'll hear the new head coach of the Bowling Green State University. Um, it will be Carl Pellini. Pellini coming in. This is his first year as a um, he was a first year coach with Bowling Green as a defensive coordinator. He comes in off of playing against being the uh, defensive coordinator for Ohio, who Bowling Green will now play this upcoming this upcoming Saturday in Athens. And um, you'll hear Carl's take on the whole Mike James situation. You also hear his opinions on a few things, and um, uh, what's your reaction to this tonight uh, on Twitter? If you're when you're listening to this po- podcast today, remember to besides following me on Twitter, go on to Twitter. Send me send me your thoughts on uh, what you think about Mike Jenks being let go against uh, you know. Literally four game, five games left in the regular season. Should they have waited to the end of the year to fire him, or this is this was definitely needed? Because in my opinion, I think they should have fired him after the Toledo game, because then you've got six games, and four of them are against your against divisional opponents in Kent State, Ohio, Akron, and Buffalo. Four of the next six are against would be against at the time, against divisional opponents. Because the Miami game really set them back. It really did. It set them back to the fact that they needed to to win that game because Miami 
is in, was in the driver's seat at the time. But now, we'll see what happens. So this is the press conference. Mooseberger and the new head coach of Bowling Green State University, Carl Polini. Good morning. Thank you uh, for all coming out today. Um, you know, a tough day yesterday, and as you know um, from the press release and our announcement yesterday, I uh, have relieved Coach Jinks of his uh, head coaching responsibilities here at BGSU. Um, defensive coordinator Carl Pellini has agreed to serve as the interim head coach for the remainder of the season, and you'll get to hear from Coach Pellini here in a second. Um, Regardless of what anyone says, this is not an easy decision, uh, one that I do not take lightly. As the press release mentioned, um, 11 coaching families, uh, 112 student athletes, numerous support staff members are affected by this decision that I made. Um, in addition to that, I called 11 2019 commits last night uh, to give them the news and talk to them. It's affected their lives as well. Again, do not take this lightly. Coach Jinks and his family have done a lot of great things in the Bowling Green community um, and for BGSU. Uh, Coach Jinks has taken some shots on and off the field, uh, some unfair and fair. Um, he's handled it with a lot of class and a lot of dignity, and I again thank him for his professionalism yesterday and uh, wish him well for all of his efforts here at BGSU. With that said, President Rogers and I came to this decision um, for the best interest of our student athletes, our football program, and the university. Again, there's a lot of factors that go into this decision, and what I kept coming back to was our student athletes and what's right and what's fair for them. At the same time, I understand that this decision weighs on them, brings out a lot of emotions for them, um, but we're working with them. Uh, we'll get through this transition. And then yesterday, first to the 10 players that are on our leadership council and to the entire team, we talked about this decision and how we best can move forward. And I know it's going to be tough for them, but uh, the focus should be on Ohio University and trying to go 1-0 this week. I talked to him about playing for the senior class. Um, this senior class has been through a lot here at BGSU um, and taking some ownership, looking every, looking every, everybody look in the mirror and see what you can do to help this program. And I, and I included myself in that as well. But we look forward to the rest of the season under Coach Pelini. And uh, with that, I'll open it up for some questions uh, before we get to Coach Pelini. Why now? Why not wait till the end of the season? Yeah, that's uh, something I struggled with, quite honestly. And... Uh, you know, I kept going back and forth with it and just it ultimately came down um, in the best interest of our student athletes. Um, I felt it was the right time to do it at this time of the season. How much did the boosters weigh into this decision? Not at all. Um, you know, this is a decision that uh, President Rogers and I have contemplated. Um, we talked, we discussed. Obviously, there's many factors in it. Um, you know, regardless of what um, has been said, um, no one has stepped up and offered me money to help through this transition. Um, so that did not have a factor in this. We just did it in the best interest of our, again, our student athletes, the university, and the football program. Let me, I want to follow up on that then. So the buyout, obviously we all know that Mike is due about a million or so. Um, who is paying the buyout then? We're taking university uh, athletic resources, 
and no education or general fee uh, resources will be used for this, um, but we'll take it from athletics resources. And, you know, let's not forget that uh, per his contract, uh, Coach Jinx and I did talk about the mitigation of it. If he can go out and uh, gain employment, that will lessen our, uh, our payout to him. Um, but, you know, the, so the final number is not known at this time. Um, you know, again, I think Coach Jinx is uh, a heck of a call player, um, and he'll find another opportunity, um, and that will help us through this process. Bob, did you have a moment when you came to the conclusion that, in your opinion, that this was not going to turn around? Not one particular moment. Um, you know, I keep analyzing the situation, kept thinking about what we're missing, um, what these players need uh, to be successful, and ultimately, like I said, you know, I just felt it was time to make this decision. In the past, this has been a great program. It has been a winning program here. What qualities do you want out of the next head coach that could make it such again? Yeah, the, you know, what we look for in all of our head coaches is being a great leader. Um, these student athletes want to be mentored, want to learn, um, be a great leader, you know, have proven success um, at a program. Uh, that uh, is like BGSU at a program uh, that uh, is like BGSU um, and mentor and guide these kids through you know those formidable years 18 to 22 year old kids. The timeline is obviously not ideal as you mentioned um, with a game this week and then signing day is about two months do you have a timeline with how you want to fill the position? Do you have a date in mind? you want to do it before signing day? Yes, definitely. We want to definitely do it before signing day. Um, not a particular date in mind, but uh, a lot of factors go into that. Um, but we will move as quickly as we can, but uh, respect uh, a lot of people's timing of this. Obviously, we have five games left this season, and uh, you know we'll move as quickly as we can, but find the right person for the job. Mike seemed a little different after the game Saturday. Did you have an idea that it was possibly coming? I don't know. Um, I can't speak for Mike, but I know he was he was hurt by that loss. I mean, it was a tough loss, you know, uh, tough, hard-fought game, and that's what we talked about is uh, with our student athletes yesterday. Is you know that we are there, we're close, and that's you know a Western Michigan team, and the week before against Toledo, two teams that are you know well respected in our conference, and the amount of effort and work uh, that goes into those games is is a lot, and. To not be able to finish it uh, was frustrating for everybody. Can you speak to the personal side a little bit of, of sitting across the table with somebody that you know, you've worked with that you like and have to tell them that you know, it's not going to work out anymore? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'll talk to uh, my meeting with Mike and, uh, you know, uh, it didn't go as well as I had liked. Um, obviously, emotional. Um, he believes 100% that he's the man for the job, and uh, that's what I want out of a head coach. I, uh, I was glad he didn't come in and say, yeah, okay, thanks. Um, you know, he, was, he thought I'm wrong, and he probably still thinks I'm wrong. Um, so that was a tough conversation. Um, but he understands the business of it, and uh, I did call him last night, and we talked again. Um, told him a few things that I didn't, wasn't able to mention in that meeting because of how it went. Um, and we talked about it, and you know, it's it, it's a hard situation when 
you know, he's done so much behind the scenes that people don't realize. Um, and he was, you know, he had the best interest in the university and the student athletes in mind. And uh, so he was just disappointed that he doesn't get a chance to see it through the end. There were a couple outfield issues as well, though. Uh, was this just a decision that primarily revolved around the performance on the field or were there other issues? You know, you got to look at the totality of the situation, you know, off the field. You know, obviously, uh, you know, we had some hiccups this past summer. But again, you know, uh, we worked through those. Mike handled those in appropriate fashion, quick fashion, um, and, you know, demanded that from his players. Um, again, you know, we were dealing with 18 to 22-year-old kids who were going to make mistakes. Um, you know, but the totality of the situation um, led us to the decision yesterday. Um, you know, but it wasn't one incident um, that happened um, during the season or off the field or whatever. Um, but in total, you know, everything from the performance on the field um, to all the other factors that go in, into this decision. You've mentioned the financial situation a lot, whether BG's last in football budget. Obviously, that gets, that's a negative, but there's a lot of positives, too. Is BG football a good job to you, and what, what makes it a good job? 100%. It's a great job. Um, you know, we talked about that. It, it's, it is what it is. However, wherever we are in our budget, and we, meaning us alumni, us fans, the donors, we all need to support this program. And that's the only way it's going to get better. Um, but this is a great job. This is a great community. Uh, it's a great college town where students can come to school um, and have a great experience. It's a great football program with rich history. Um, great fan support, great facilities. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for anyone. And are you expecting supporters to step up and help help fund this? Or, I mean, you mentioned it's not going to come from the university, but when it is, I, I guess it's hard. How do you get those funds without? I thought you had checks in hand for me today, David. Yes, um, the the donors want to give to a program and they want to see their funds used in a way that's going to help the program. And unfortunately, I've been part of this situation in San Diego State, moving from Chuck Long to Brady Hoke. Um, it is not an easy conversation to have donors to say, help us with this problem, fix this problem. Um, they want to be part of a solution going forward. You know? um, so that's our focus, is what, we can do, what can we do to move forward what projects can we help this football program? We have a weight room renovation that we know if we get that off the ground, that's going to help us in recruiting. Um, so we're looking forward. And, and you know, we, we feel that we still have five games in the season that can help define this season and move forward in the best way that we can. And obviously the coaching market's getting more and more out of control each year. Are you guys prepared to if the right candidates available in conjunction with the supporters to step up significantly financial commitment to the coach? Yes. Um, President Rogers and I had that conversation. At the end of the day, you know, this decision may be, it is what it is, but the decisions that we have moving forward are going to affect this program for the next coach, the next group of recruits. Um, and we want this program to be a uh, leader in our athletic department. And we realize that uh, we need to invest in the program. Um, we need to find donors and alumni and fans to give, to buy tickets, uh, to be corporate partners uh, for this program, for sure. 
Will Coach Bellini be evaluated as a possible candidate? Yes. Um, you know, we are moving forward, um, Coach Bellini, um, with the five games remaining, and we will consider a lot of factors in our decision, and Coach will be part of that decision. Has previous coaching experience important to you moving forward? You know, this is going to be my first football hire. Um, the coaches that we have hired at BGSU here, um, I would say they do have that in their background, head coaching experience. There's something to be said about um, having that experience, being the person in charge and making the decision. Um, so that will definitely be one of the factors as we decide on. It's not going to. I'm not going to say yes. That has to be the deciding factor, um, but certainly that is that is one consideration that we'll put into this job. Bob, it's been about two weeks since that article was written with the anonymous boosters. Um, how much did that weigh on you? And how much more difficult did that make your job as an athletic director? Great question. Um, you know, I thought it was unfair, um, especially to our student athletes. And I know Coach Jinks addressed that in, in his article or uh, in his press conference. Um, I didn't understand why it needed to be written, why those anonymous sources needed to say those things. Um, I don't know how it helped BGSU in our current situation and supporting these student athletes um, through this. And you know, if if you're with us, be with us. Um, and you know, as a family, we have tough conversations at the dinner table, and it stays at the dinner, dinner table. And so. Um, yeah, I just didn't like the article whatsoever. Now, the players are probably <clears throat> arguably the most impacted of anyone. How do you make sure as a community that they can, you know, keep this on track the rest of the way? Yeah, we've, uh, you know, so we met with the leadership council yesterday, which is about 10 student athletes um, representing all different uh, classes of the football team, and then met with the team, and we talked about, you know, what this means for them, obviously the emotions that's going on right now. Uh, we've offered support um, through, you know, uh, a number of sources, um, you know, being there to talk to them and help them through this transition. You know, this is 18 to 22 year old kids um, that have faced a lot of adversity. Um, this is another adversity that they're facing right now and how do we best navigate the road moving forward. You know, and I asked the head or the, you know, Coach Pliny and the rest of the assistant coaches that they need to lead these young men uh, through this transition. And they need to be professional, they need to be positive, and we will get through this together. How have they taken it from your perspective, the players? The players? You know, these, they're kids, they're resilient. Uh, they're probably taking it better than I am. Um, they're probably taking it better than the assistant coaches are. Um, so I think, you know, they went through their walkthrough yesterday. I uh, uh, talked to a few of them and, and you know, they were, they were in pretty good spirits. How much weight did the Caleb Wright situation play into this where football staff learned and stayed back in the morning? It didn't. Um, you know, we talked about that situation. And, and to be clear, Nick, uh, we did leave a certified athletic trainer back in Atlanta because I did have people ask me, you didn't leave anybody? And I said, no, we did leave somebody. And, then, and so just want to make sure that we to make that clear that there was a certified athletic trainer. But, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we missed on the ele human element. Uh, Coach Jinks and I talked about that. Um, we definitely uh, 
you know, again, at that moment in time, the biggest thing on our mind was making sure we had the medical attention that this kid needed. Um, from there, once uh, we transferred the medical care to the EMTs and then to the emergency room, you know, could we have done more? You know, looking back at it, I think we could have. Um, but did it have a factor in this decision? No. Did you go to the church that game? I did. Why did you not stay back? I had that same question of myself. Um, you know, I, I, in hindsight, seeing and hearing from the parents, um, you know, should I have been the one that stayed back? Do you take, how much blame should you take or your office? You know, because a lot of it looks like it's on Mike and the staff for not staying right. back, but here you and whoever else was there from, you know, the administration yeah. and stayed back. Yeah, that's uh, something that we talked about. You know, it's, is the head coach the right person to be there? Should have been a position coach? Should it have been an administrator? And when you're in the moment, and we talked about this, um, we need we need our protocols um, are what they are. But when you're in the moment and you're dealing with the situation, I don't think that we were thinking completely clear, clearly and having someone off-site who's not in the situation that can make sure that we're addressing all those issues um, and say, all right, which administrator is staying? You know, maybe it's not a head coach or uh, an assistant coach, but it is administrator. So I think we all can do, in this whole, in this whole football program, we can all do better. I guess it's confusing because given that's arguably the biggest story in college football this season, given what's going on at Maryland, why someone from your office probably would have stayed Yeah, so... Um, you know, some of the factors that went into it, you know, before or right when we were on the bus, you know, he, um, we got word that he was stabilized. Um, before we even left, they were talking about discharging him. Um, so, and we had a certified athletic trainer there, his parents were there, and we felt he was in the care of medical professionals, and he was well taken care of. In hindsight, could we have done better? Absolutely. Any further? All right. I'm going to bring up, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Coach Planey, uh, obviously our defensive coordinator, 20-plus uh, year veteran, um, bachelor's in English literature and two master's degrees. Not sure you'll you'll see that um, in a coach uh, anywhere else here, uh, elsewhere. Uh, in his short time here, he's earned the respect of the coaches and student athletes. Uh, knowledge for, of the game, his attention to detail, his preparation, his leadership, his consistent teaching and mentoring of these young men. And with that, I welcome interim head coach, Carl Pelini. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. You know, I, I, it's difficult under the circumstances. Mike and I were friends. Um, we worked closely together. He gave me an opportunity, and, and I'll always be indebted to him for that. Um, shortly after Bob and Kit met with Mike yesterday, they called me into the office and talked to me about uh, their decision. And um, after the initial shock wore off, talked to me about uh, stepping up as the interim head coach. Um, 
I immediately accepted because the most important thing to me at this moment is our players and the young men in that locker room. And my intention as the interim head coach is to keep things moving in a positive direction, um, to focus on micro changes that I think can make us better, uh, to keep, uh, keep the morale up, keep the routine in place. Um, and I met with them this morning. I met with them yesterday. Uh, everybody was in a little bit of shock, and, and everybody was uh, kind of dealing with their own feelings. So I brought them back this morning. We had a little bit longer visit, and I talked to them about um, something I, you know, talk about to our players often is the difference between a river and a flood. And rivers are powerful things because everybody's moving in one direction. Um, floods, the water starts seeping outside of the banks and it loses its power. And I talked to him about that. And what we need now as a family, as a group, as a program, is to all be on the same page and all keep moving forward in the same direction in a positive way. Very little distractions, um, stay focused on their studies, on their day-to-day -day routine as a student athlete, and on Ohio University. And we're going to roll up our sleeves, we're going to prepare for Ohio U, and we're going to put the best product on the field that we can put. Um, we're going to be there for our players. Um, I told them I have an open door if anyone wants to discuss anything. Um, and I know it's a difficult time. I've been through this before as a head coach. I've been through it on this level as well um, when I was at Nebraska and Coach Solich got let go. So I understand the uncertainty in their minds, the uncertainty in the minds of the staff. Um, but the bottom line is what I've learned over my years as a football coach and as a professional is that you just control what you can control. And what we can control is how we work day to day to prepare for Ohio University. Focus on the academic side of the program, focus on the athletic side of the program, and just continue to put our nose to the grindstone and keep working to become a better football program and to achieve some of the goals that we set out to achieve at the beginning of the season. Um, with that, you know, I'll take any questions that you guys have. How will your day-to-day operations change and how will things change for you now? Um, well, it'll be difficult, you know, except the head coach's responsibilities at the same time um, running the defense. Uh, but I've got some really qualified guys in that staff room with me and I'm going to have to lean on them a little bit, um, spend some long hours preparing for this game um, while maintaining, you know, control of the program at the same time. So. How will it change? You know, as you become a head coach, you know, usually in the ideal situation, you've got three or four months to prepare for spring football, and once spring is done, another three or four months before the season uh, gets to you. So you really have a chance to install your program and, and do things. So what I've tried to look at, and I mentioned the word micro changes, but small changes with I, which I think culturally will get us on the same page to where I think we need to be. Um, talk to some of the players about that, just little operational things. And, and I think the worst thing I could do right now is try to overhaul the program in a week. Um, instead, I've spent last night really evaluating how we do things day to day and trying to uh, 
look at small changes that I can make to kind of get us pointed in the right direction um, quickly without overwhelming the players with change. When you took this job this, this offseason, um, it has, have things been more difficult to fix than what maybe you anticipated? Um, yes, uh, it has been, but I, I'll say this. I mean, uh, I believe in the system, in the scheme. It's been successful other places. Um, and we as a staff and, and as, as players, you know, I, I applaud their effort. They're, they're focused. They're locked in. We rolled up our sleeves in January and we got to work and, and, you know, I can honestly say that you know, I put my head on the pillow at night knowing that, that I've done my best and, and I've worked my tail off to uh, get us to where we are. I can see improvement. You know, I think we're on the verge. Um, and we need to figure out a way uh, to get us over the top. And, and that's true as a team. You know, it's something that I focused on in my discussion with the players today. Um, Bob mentioned we took two outstanding football teams to the wire the last two weeks, but we still fell short, and that's unacceptable. And so I talked to them about honest self-evaluation. What is it? Uh, we're shooting ourselves in the foot at times, making untimely mistakes, um, unable to finish. You know, what is it that is causing that? And I think I have to look at that as a program and as a team. What can we do to be successful in those situations? But I think each player and each coach has to look at those situations as well and, and evaluate themselves honestly and, and what can the individual do to make us more successful in those situations. And, and if we truly evaluate it um, honestly um, and make those changes, you know, I think we have an opportunity still to get over the top and, and to start to um, not just be successful in those situations, but embrace them. And, and I think that the first one is the most difficult. And I've always said, um, to establish a culture, you're going to get close, you're going to get close, you're going to get close. And then it's going to come where you pull one of those out. And once you do, that snowball will start rolling. So we're still at that point where we need to pull out that first one. Um, so we need, to, we need to figure out how to do that. And, and once we do it, I think we can get this culture going in the direction that we all want it to go. For all the adjustments that you might need to make here, signing day is about two months away now. So how aggressively does the staff plan to recruit uh, the rest of the season? Very aggressively. You know, all hands on deck. Um, um, we have a number of commitments already that Bob mentioned. Um, we'll continue to build those relationships. Um, at this point, most of the feedback we've gotten from those recruits is positive, that they're committed to the university. Um, but if there is a guy or two that walks away because of the coaching change and because of the uncertainty, then we'll go out and find quality student athletes to replace them. Um, one thing, you know, I've been here a short time, uh, but I love this university. I love this town. It's been a great transition for me, for my family. Um, just a great experience. And, and there's good people here. And I grew up in the state of Ohio, um, and I know the success and the history of Bowling Green. And one thing I told Bob and Kit yesterday is, despite the struggles in the last couple years, when you get out into these schools, there is a very high opinion of Bowling Green football in terms of the student athletes and how they perceive this program. 
and it's not a difficult place to recruit to. Um, and so, especially locally, especially in the state of Ohio and, and western Pennsylvania and eastern Michigan, um, I think, you know, we're on track to putting together an outstanding recruiting class, um, and we're going to work hard to see that through and make sure that gets done. That sounds like you would like this job full-time. Will you treat these next six weeks like a, like a job interview? Um, I don't know any other way than to put my heart and soul into my job and what I've been asked to do. Um, again, control what I can control. And what I can control is doing the best possible job that I can do um, in what I've been asked to do here. And, um, you know, from that point on, you know, we just have to let the chips fall where they may. Touched on it with the reputation this place has, but what do you make Bowling Green a, a good job? What do I think makes Bowling yeah. Green a good job? The people, number one. The people that are here in the athletic department, the community, uh, the supporters, the alumni, the football alumni who are here every weekend, um, the boosters, everybody I've come in contact with. One thing that I'll say that really was was eye-opening and and have again having grown up in ohio but not you know I, I coached in the mac at ohio university so i had some interaction with bowling green but the idea how much people love this place and how passionate they are about this place is really striking uh, especially for someone who is looking at it from the outside uh, but there's there are the people in this building the people on this campus, the students, they love it here. Our student athletes love it here. The greatest selling points we have as recruiters is when we get those kids on campus and they get around our student athletes who love being students here. Um, it's, it is striking and it's, it's unusual and it's not like that very many places, I can tell you. And all the places I've been, this is unique in that regard. People love Bowling Green State University. And, and I can see why after being here a short time. It's a, it's a passionate group um, that love this place, and, and it's infectious. Carl, you're jumping back into this role for the first time in about five years. Um, what valuable experiences did you learn last time you think it might help you here? Um, you know, when I got to FAU, they had, I don't think they won a game the, the year before. And, and I was... Um, you know, the most important thing for me at that point was was the cultural change and and getting the guys to buy in and to see themselves as winners um, because they were winners and just the way they approached the game every day. And, and regardless of how that ended, um, I take a lot of satisfaction in seeing where that program is now and knowing that that I helped to lay the foundation for their success that's come in recent years. Um, I learned a lot about myself, you know, and, and I, I didn't always handle things uh, perfectly, but I am one that, that looks back at everything I've done in my career, and I go back to all, all the way back to my time as a high school head coach early in my career. Um, I do look at myself honestly, and I'm, and I'm able to admit mistakes, change, um, lean on people, ask for help, um, get a get a consensus rather than rolling with an iron fist, and I and I think I think those are all things that help me grow as a person, most importantly, but but as a coach as well. 
you see at least a little irony in the fact that your first opponent is Frank Solich? Um, Frank gave me my first opportunity in college football. Uh, we're very close. You know, I love the guy. He's a good man and a good person, and there's no secret to the success he's had. Uh, his consistency and, and the way he competes and appreciates um, his challenges every day is, uh, is something to watch. And so I learned a lot from Frank about being a coach. Um, look forward to squaring off against him. Uh, regardless of uh, regardless of our relationship, you know, I, I, I mentioned this morning. Um, I think back about when I was at University of Nebraska and we were playing Oklahoma, and one of my best friends, Bob Stoops, was on the opposite sidelines, and we competed like heck against each other. But at the end of the day, at the end of the game, we gave each other a hug before we went to the locker room, and so that's how it's going to be Saturday. Um, he would expect nothing less than than our best shot at him, and and. You know, I feel the same way about him. I know they're going to be prepared to play a good game as well. Have you talked to, have you talked to Frank in the last 20 hours? No, I have not. No. You mentioned culture a couple of times in regards to here. Do um, you feel like there was a culture issue? Um, there's always a culture issue. <laughs> I, I'll just say that. There's always improvement in that side uh, that can be done. And, and um, the goal is to... Uh, constantly reevaluate that. And, and if there's one thing that I think, uh, being in this role, even if it's just for the next five weeks, um, I think the most important thing, and I, people talk a lot about um, mission statements. And I think in a lot of organizations, you, you make your mission statement, and two years later, you revisit it and rewrite it. All right. But for me, um, as a leader, I think it's really important to understand what culture you seek and who what your identity what identity do you want to be and focus everything toward that identity so every decision you make during the day every single decision you make during the day you have to have that identity in mind and it should weigh in on that decision and if you start to stray from it and if you honestly revisit it again and again and again you have to decide do i want to do I, do I want to maintain this identity, or is it time to change a little bit? And so it's always a living thing. You're, you're never going to achieve it perfectly, and so you should just always reevaluate it and reevaluate it. Um, so being in this role, I've spent the last 24 hours really thinking about that and, and who I think this program needs to be and, and what what do we need to focus on? And, and, and that needs to be part of every decision I make in the next five weeks. Um, so, yes, but that's not unusual in this job. Maybe fans, coach, would say despite your best efforts as defensive coordinator, uh, the first half of the season, the defense has continued to struggle in response to it. There is a lot of change, um, and, and there... You know, I, I would equate that to, um, I, I knew it would be difficult coming in midstream, you know, and, and typically um, when you come into a new place, you come in with a new staff and, and there's a little bit of a grace period as you build and develop. And you can, you can prepare kids through spring and through camp as well as anybody, but it's different on game day and the speed at which it happens um, there's no, 
substitute for it that you can simulate in practice. Um, and it takes some experience in the system. Uh, but I really feel like the last couple weeks we've started to show signs. And, and I feel like we're on the verge of a true understanding of it. Um, I think there's some depth issues, you know, there, there's some fatigue that happens and there's some things about managing the game that we're going to look at as we go forward. But, but I do think that, uh, um, that we have shown improvement. And, and as I said, um, I've never, never worked harder in my life than I've worked the last six months um, to do the best job I can. And I, I felt, uh, you know, I, I, I do take some responsibility for, for what happened. And I, um, I've always said, you know, when you get a flat tire, you don't change the driver. Um, so the coach, the head coach, always takes the full responsibility for the outcome, and yet there's a lot of things that go into it. There's a lot of people that are responsible for what happened. And, and so, um, but ultimately, you, you just have to look at yourself and, and feel good about, about how hard you worked at it and, and how you did the best you could do. And, and we're going to continue that improvement and continue that process. And, and hopefully, within the next few weeks, we start to pull those games out and, and start to develop a winning mentality around here that, that will be infectious and, and will start to snowball for us as we go forward. Have you had a conversation with the rest of the staff? Yes, we uh, visited. I had two different staff meetings yesterday. Um, and one thing I know about these guys, and, and some of them I've only known a short time. Obviously, I had the ability to, to hire the defensive side of the ball when I got here. Um, but they are all good people, hard workers, tremendous work ethic, and, and, and most importantly, a, a tremendous sense of duty. And I think the idea in, in our staff room is that the student athletes are the most important thing to us. And we are going to do everything that we can possibly do to see to it that they experience some success and that they uh, achieve their potential as a football team. Coach, has time for one more question. Soon you'll continue to call the defense on game day? Um, yes, and I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on that a little bit, um, but, but I will. And, and at the same time, you know, I'm going to work really hard to spend some time with the offense and kind of, you know, as a defensive guy, play devil's advocate more than anything and get an idea what their game plan is and, and what we feel like we can take advantage of offensively and in special teams. And so I am going to lean on my defensive coaches a little bit. Um, they know the routine. They know how I work and how I operate. And, and they're, they're going to have to step up and, and take some more responsibility, which I know they will, and they'll do it great. They'll do a great job of doing that. Um, and I'm going to try to uh, put myself in a position by Saturday, <laughs> which is a tall order, but I'm going to try to put myself in a position by Saturday that I have a handle on every aspect of the game and, and try to manage that game on Saturday in a way that will help us uh, put our best performance on the field. So that was the audio from Monday's press conference for the new coach, Cara Polini, and you hear you heard him in his press conference. Absolutely, um, you know the culture shock, the whole you know finding himself. 
in midstream. So, you know, this this is going to be interesting for him. You know, and this is a job interview basically for him for the final five games because, like they said, recruiting signing day is two weeks away. And this is this is big. Excuse me, two months away. And we shall see. And it all starts Saturday at Ohio. As you're listening to All Andy Elf for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, however you're listening to me and wherever you're listening to me, Thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And I know tonight's going to be, I I told you guys in the beginning, this is going to be a long episode. So let's dive a little bit more into college football. And uh, how about Eastern Michigan putting a shellacking on UT? And UT rallying back in the fourth quarter to score 21 points. But in the end, they fall short to Eastern Michigan, getting their first loss in MAC play by a final score of 28 to 26. Gidani for Toledo, twenty excuse me, twelve for twenty-seven, one forty-seven, one TD, one INT in the game. Seymour twenty-eight carries for one hundred and thirty-four yards, one TD in the game. He also caught the ball, thirteen catches for sixty-one is sixty-one yards. Excuse me, Gidani ran the ball twenty-eight times for one hundred thirty-four yards, one TD. Seymour thirteen carries for sixty-one yards, one TD in the game. John Bay Johnson three catches for forty-seven yards. D. Johnson, four catches for 44 yards. Cody Thompson, three catches for 37 yards, one TD in the game. For Emu, Eastern Michigan, Wires, 11 for 15, 83 yards, no touchdowns, no INT. Glass was also the quarterback in the game. He had six. He was six for eight for 100 yards, no TDs, no INTs, but he carried the ball 10 times for 125 yards and two TDs in the game. Parker, eight catches, eight. Running attempts for 65 yards, one TD. Jackson, five catches, 44 yards, no TDs. Oates, one catch, 42 yards. Breakdown looks like this. Toledo had 25 first downs to Eastern Michigan's 18. The Rockets were six for 16 on third down. Eastern Michigan, one for nine. Toledo had 376 yards of total offense, 147 through the air, 229 on the ground. Eastern Michigan, 412, 183 in the air, 229 on the ground. Penalties killed the Rockets against 16 penalties for 130 yards. Eastern Michigan, 11 penalties for 138 yards. No turnovers for Eastern Michigan. One in the game for the Rockets. So the Rockets losing there. They get ready to play. come back home to play Buffalo this upcoming Saturday at noon at the Glass Bowl. Big key matchup for them. And it could possibly, wink, wink, be a possibly MAC championship game. But... Let's talk a little bit more of college football, and let's dive into the Big Ten. How about Ohio State struggling against Minnesota, getting back on the right page in the second half and just rowing the boat upstream for and without a paddle was P.J. Fleck in the Minnesota Golden Gophers. As Ohio State beats Minnesota 30-14, to Haskins 33 for 43, 412, three touchdowns, no INTs. Mike Weber, 13 carries for 51 yards. K.J. Hill, 9 catches for 187 yards, 2 TDs. McLernan, 3 catches for 55 yards, 1 TD in the game. For Minnesota, Axton, 13 for 23, 218. No touchdowns, 2 INTs in the game. McEver ran 23 carries for 157, 2 TDs. 
Johnson, eight for eight catches for 119 yards, no TDs in the game. And Wilhelm, two catches for 62 yards, no TDs in the game. Breakdown looks like this. Ohio State had 29 first downs to Minnesota's 19. Ohio State, six for 14 on third down. Minnesota, four and nine in third down. Ohio State had a total of 504 yards of offense. 412 through the air, 92, that's right, 92 yards in total on the ground. Minnesota's run defense is legit. Minnesota, 396 yards of total offense, 218 in the air, 178 on the ground. Five penalties for 36 yards for the for Ohio State. Four penalties for 60 yards for Minnesota. Minnesota had three, count them, three turnovers in the game. So they were a bunch of uh, Arby's turnover makers there in that game. So Ohio State cruises in that victory. Sets up then Michigan getting the win over Wisconsin on the big stage, 38-13. Shane Patterson, 14 for 21, 124. No touchdowns, no INTs, but he carried the ball nine times for 90 yards and one TD. Horningbrook, 4, Wisconsin, 7 for 20, 100 yards, 1 touchdown, 2 INTs in the game. Higgin, 19 carries for 105 yards, 1 TD in the game for Michigan. Taylor, 17 carries, 101 yards, no touchdowns for Wisconsin. Pryor, 2 catches for 30 yards. Ferguson, 2 catches for 46 yards for Wisconsin. Derek Peoples-Jones, 3 catches for 30 yards. Collins, 4 catches for 31 yards, no TDs. In the game for Michigan in in the wide receiver, the top two wide receivers. So Michigan getting the job done against Wisconsin, helping their case out, and looking at some of the other games that were shocking in Big Ten play. How about number eight Penn State going down to Michigan State? Who caught that game? Raising my hand. I changed my mind at the last second. I thought, you know, after doing the show on Friday night, I looked at my picks again and I said, you know what? Michigan State could pull an upset and they could beat Penn State. It's it's possible. It's absolutely possible. So I changed my pick and I picked Michigan State in my, in my pool sheet and they get the win 21-17 to over 8th-ranked Penn State. Maryland 34, Rutgers 7, Iowa was a winner 42-16 over Indiana. In overtime, Northwestern gets the win 34-31 over Nebraska. Purdue 46-7 win over Illinois. In the in the MAC, Buffalo was a winner 24-6 over Akron. Miami of Ohio a winner 31-6 over Kent State. Ball State wins in Central Michigan 24-23. Ohio after after who was Bowling Green's next opponent lost to NIU 24-21. Top 25 looks like this from this past weekend. 23rd, South Florida gets the win 25-24 over Tulsa. Tennessee upsetting number 21 ranked Auburn 30-24. How about Florida getting the win 37-20 over Vanderbilt? And Notre Dame slipping and getting the win against Pitt 19-14. Unbelievable score there. And then who had LSU at beating Georgia? Another hand raised right here. I told you LSU was a better club than Georgia. Georgia was sitting absolutely doing nothing. And LSU put a shellacking on the number 2nd ranked 
Georgia Bulldogs 36-16. 22nd-ranked Texas A&M gets the win over the Gamecocks 26-23. How about in overtime? Who had Oregon beating Washington? Another hand raised by yours truly. Oregon in overtime beating the Huskies 30-27. Texas getting the win 23-17 over the Baylor Bears. Central Florida won a 31-30 over Memphis. Memphis had the opportunity to beat Central Florida, and they ran out of time in the game. Number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide rolled high through Missouri 39-10. How about West Virginia losing in Ames to the former Toledo head coach Matt Campbell? Matt Campbell gets a signature win against West Virginia as they beat West Virginia 30-14. to 14. I, Now, I'll admit I have West Virginia in that game. How about UVA beating Miami of Florida 16-13? Unbelievable. USC was a winner 31-20 over Colorado. And Colorado was upset by USC. So the top pot, the AP poll looks like this. Alabama, 61st place votes. They're number one. Ohio State now moves to second. Clemson, three. Notre Dame. 7-0 goes to 4, LSU 5, Michigan 6, Texas 7, Georgia 8, Oklahoma 9, Central Florida is now 10, Florida is 11, Oregon 12, West Virginia falls now to 13, Kentucky now goes to 14th, Washington after being 7th ranked falls to 15th, NC State is now 16th, Texas A&M 17th, Penn State now goes to 18th after being 8th ranked, falling 10 spots, it's hard to do. Iowa 19th, Cincinnati, the Bearcats, Taron Brand's Bearcats are now 20th ranked in the country. South Florida 21, Mississippi State 22nd, Wisconsin 23rd, Michigan State now gets back into the AP poll at 24, and Washington State now goes to 25th. So big games happening this week in, in college football. We'll talk about that as well as so much more on the Friday edition of All Andy Alford, the Falcon Friday edition, the new Falcon Friday edition with new coach Carl Pellini. As you are listening to All Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, however you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me tonight, thank you for tuning into the program. And now let's continue the battle on the gridiron and let's dive in to the NFL. The Browns killed themselves basically on Sunday and they had the opportunity to win this game against against the Chargers, and they just absolutely laid an egg. They absolutely laid an egg in this game. The Chargers getting the win 38-14. Melvin Gordon, 18 carries for 132 yards, three touchdowns in the game. Phillip Rivers, 11 for 20, 207 yards. Two TDs, one INT in the game. Williams, three catches for 118 yards, two TDs. Allen, four catches, 62 yards, no TDs in the game. For Baker Mayfield in this game, how can you trip on the chains and not be okay? He was hobbling all the rest of the game after that incident. He finishes with 22 completions out of 46 attempts, 238 yards, one TD, two INTs. The, the role of him, you know, the high of him just falling hard in that situation. Johnson, two, cat, two carries for 36 yards. Carlos High, 14 carries for 34 yards in the game. 
Najuku, seven catches for 55 yards. Radley, six catches for 82 yards. Dukoju having a touchdown in the game. Breakdown looks like this. The Chargers had 24 first downs to the Browns, 18. Chargers, one for nine on third down. The third down, the Browns, six for 16. Total yards, the Chargers had 449 yards of total offense, 203 in the air, 246 on the ground. The Browns, 317 yards of total offense, 214 through the air, 103 on the ground. The Chargers had 10 penalties for 72 yards. Cleveland, 6 penalties for 53 yards, 2 turnovers in the game, all from Baker Mayfield. Chargers, Phil Berbers only with one turnover. Looking at some of the NFL, other NFL games, of course, Thursday night, Philadelphia getting the win 34-13 over the Giants. How about Atlanta finally getting back on the schneid and getting the win over at Tampa Bay, 34-29. Good to see that. And in a come-from-behind fashion, in Cincy, Pittsburgh getting the win 28-21 over the, over the Bengals. Houston, a winner, was a, was a winner 30 to excuse me, 20 to 13 over the Buffalo Buffalo Bills. Miami, my cousin Kelly was at that game in Miami, had a great time as the Dolphins beat the Bears 31 to 28. So, sorry, Nick, the Bears weren't bearing down on that one. Minnesota gets the win 27 to 17 over Arizona. How about Phil Gilliams and my friend Jim's Indianapolis Colts putting 34 points on the board against the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. But the Jets respond with that with a total of six touchdowns in the game. Six touchdowns in the game. And they cruise to a four, they get a 42-34 win over Indianapolis. Seattle getting the win 27-3 over Oakland. And Oakland's just continuing to struggle. I talked to my friend Danny Facer the other night. And he believes that Gruden is not the choice. For the Raiders. And I'm kind of agreeing with him on the situation now. As time goes on. Gruden is not the guy. Is starting to become not the guy for the Raiders. But it is just year one. You got to give him some lenient time on that. Year one. Year two. After year three. After year two. We can make a judgment call on that. Washington gets the win 23-17 over the Carolina Panthers. The Rams continue their role. As they beat the Denver Broncos 23-20. It was... Dallas getting the win 40-7 over Jacksonville. Baltimore getting the shutout. Baltimore shutting out the Tennessee Titans 21-0. And how about this Sunday night game? Come from behind. The Chiefs were coming from behind. But in the end, Tom Brady and the Patriots get the job done with a game-winning field goal as time expires as they beat Kansas City 43-40. And you thought... Oh, that was, you know, Kansas City had an opportunity. They couldn't get the job done in comeback fashion. Then you get to last night in Monday Night Football, and Aaron Rodgers decides, oh, well, let's 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 see what can you know, let's do what Kansas City couldn't do and catch up and win the game in the fourth quarter. That's what happened. That is what happened. As the Packers come from behind, Crosby with the field goal late. Wins the game for the Packers, and they win 33-30. And I thought for a second there, if I was a 49ers fan, I'd be on suicide watch for that situation. The Niners have the game won, and Aaron Rodgers drives him down the field for the game winner. Absolutely fantastic. So 33-30 was the win for the Packers on Monday Night Football. So... 
We don't want to do a show on Thursday, but we have a Thursday night game. Denver is in Arizona to take on the Cardinals. I will take Denver in that game. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, however you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program. Let's dive a little bit more into, into sports, and let's dive into the MLB playoffs. Big playoff series happening right now. For the, for the league championships in the American League, Game 1 went to the Houston Astros in Boston with a 7-2 win. Game 2, Boston retaliating in the game as they win 7-5 over the Astros. And Game 3 happening right now as we speak. We're at the top of the 8th inning. It is the Red Sox leading 3-2 in Houston. It was Keiko versus Eldaldi in the game. Game 4 tomorrow, Porcello. 17 and 7 with a 4.28 ERA. He'll take on Morton, who's 15 and 3 with a 3.13 ERA. Game five, both teams have not yet named a starter. Game one, so the series is tied at one apiece. In the National League right now, the Dodgers taking losing game one in Milwaukee 6 to 5, but rebounding in game two with a 4-3 win by Cody Bellinger hitting the getting the home run late in the ninth inning to rally past the Brew Crew. And last night, the Brewers putting a shutout over the Dodgers with a 6-0 win in Chavez Ravine and taking the 2-1 series lead going into tonight's play. 8 o'clock first pitch for that game. On the hill for the for Game 3 tonight, excuse me, for Game 4, it will be Rich Hill for the Dodgers. He's 11-5 with a 3.66 ERA. In the game, it will be Gio Gonzalez for the Brewers. He is 0-0 with a 4.50 ERA in the playoffs. So we'll see what happens with that. And uh, Game 5 tomorrow in L.A. On Let's see here. Game 4, yeah, tomorrow in L.A., 5.05 start time for that one. And Game 4 in Houston tomorrow night, 8.39 start time. For that one as well. So baseball playoffs are starting in. This is that time of year when we get all four sports rolling in. And speaking of the four sport. Let's talk about the NHL. The Jackets struggle. You know. After the good win. Thursday night. In Sunrise Florida. Getting the win. And beating beating Florida 5 to 4. You know, going into that game against Tampa, I I didn't I wasn't expecting us to be competitive, but we just laid an egg and Bobrovsky was absolutely horrible in this game. And he has a been good period. And it's starting to th- I'm starting to think about this for a minute. Bear with me here. Is Bob playing bad because he wants the contract? Look at his last two starts. Last on Saturday night, they played the Tampa Bay Lightning. Bob was tw- stopped twenty three at thirty one. His save percentage of point seven four two. The last time he was that bad, you got to go back to two years ago against Boston. Excuse <coughs> me, when his save percentage was a point seven two five. Two years ago, unbelievable. As Tampa roll over 
the Jackets on Saturday night by a score of 8-2. Anderson, his third of the year. Bjorkstrand, his first. Hedman, his first. Paquette, his first. Brandon Point, two po- two goals in the game, his second and third of the season. Breakdown looks like this. The Jackets outshot Tampa 32-31. They were 52% in the faceoff death to Tampa's 48 Columbus was 0 for 5 on the power play, Tampa 4 for 7. Columbus had 16 minutes in penalties to Tampa's 12 minutes of penalties. They were out hit by Tampa 22 to 20. Bob, like I said, 23 for 31, 742 save percentage. Vasilevsky stopping 30 of 32, his save percentage of 0.938 save percentage. I got to get the job done, Bob. Uh, and it's showing more and more that Corfi is the guy right now that's leading this right now. But Bob will be Bob. He'll get it on the right page. You know, and I saw a meme today that my friend Derek McHenry wrote. It was the guy, you know, the guy with the girlfriend. He was looking at another girl. The guy was the Blue Jackets. The the fans, the fans were, the girl was, um, was, um, was the girlfriend was the the fans was the other girlfriend looking cheated and the other one was Artemi Panarin and Bobrovsky leaving and you know I'll say it again I've said it before they got to get the job done with Bob more than they got to do with Panarin Panarin can we can replace Panarin plain and simple I think goaltending will help you out but as of late Bob hasn't been Bob he hasn't been the shutdown goaltender that he is. And you look what we happened last year with Cam Atkinson. Cam was having a bad year at the beginning of the season. He was not fighting the puck. He was not fighting the, the puck in the back of the net. He wasn't doing anything that was great. He gets the contract signed. Boom. Explosion. He's putting the puck in the back of the net. And that's probably what he needs. That's probably what he needs. So let's get the job done with Bobrovsky before we get the job done with Panarin. Plain and simple. Other scores in the NHL last night. Montreal was a winner over Detroit 7-3, and Detroit has not won a hockey game yet this year. They are 0-4-2, folks. And I talked to my dad. My dad's a big Red Wings fan, and he told me, I don't see us winning a game the whole month of October. That's scary. Because they got to go down to Florida to play the Panthers, who just recently lost on Saturday night to Vancouver. And by the way... That hit was a vicious hit. If you haven't looked at it yet, that was a vicious hit by that by the Vancouver Canuck player. I, I forgot off the top of my head. Taking the guy down, throwing him the ice, laying him out. Absolutely, absolutely horrendous. He should be suspended for that. Toronto was a winner last night. 4-1 over the Kings. Ottawa, 4-1 win over Dallas. Nashville was a winner in Minnesota, 3-2. Tonight on the docket, Edmonton is in Winnipeg. Buffalo is in Las Vegas. Dallas is in New Jersey. Colorado is on the road to play the Rangers. Florida is in Philadelphia to take on the Flyers. Vancouver is in Pittsburgh to take on the Penguins. Carolina is in Tampa Bay. Phoenix is in Minnesota. Wednesday night rivalry looks like this. The Rangers are in Washington to take on the defending champions and Calgary is in hosting the Boston Bruins. The Islanders are in Anaheim 
and St. Louis is in Montreal. Columbus's next game Thursday night at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard as the Jackets take on the Philadelphia Flyers. As you're listening to All in the Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, however you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. Dive a little bit more into, into the game of ice hockey. Uh, the Walleye lose on Saturday night to Greenville by a final score of 4-2. to two. Walleye lose 4-2 to two to Greenville. Sadaway his third of the season. Jenks his second. May scoring twice for Greenville, his second and third of the year. And the former Walleye himself, Austin Bersard, getting his second of the year. Uh, the Walleye were outshot, 30, outshot Greenville 32-24. to 24. Toledo... 0 for 4 on the power play. Greenville 1 for 8. Toledo had 8 minutes in penalties. Greenville had 16 minutes in penalties. The Walleye will continue their road trip before they come back home on the 27th of October for opening night as they take on the Fort Wayne Comets at at the Hut Center. So, Walleye continuing their run. Of course, we've got that. Tonight, starting tonight, is the tip-off. NBA tip-off tonight. 8 o'clock on TNT. I can't wait to see Shaq and and, and uh, Kenny, the Jet, and Sir Charles Barkley. And I hope Ernie Johnson's there because, you know, he's a good guy. He was under the weather and sick. But Philadelphia takes on Boston. That's an 8 o'clock tip. And the 10-30 game sees the defending champion Golden State Warriors getting their rings as they take on Oklahoma City as you're listening to All Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network. Whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, however you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program tonight and we are heading to the end of the program. I know this episode's been a long episode tonight, so I thank you for tuning into tonight. And if again, like I said, you could always be a part of the show by following me on Twitter. It is at all Andy Elford. It is at all Andy Over. That is the show. Twitter is also portion of that. It's also my Twitter, so you'll see some of the stats from games and so much more. So we end tonight with uh, Andy Rant, and um, you know we. You heard my take earlier in this pro- podcast about Mike Jenks and the and the firing of Mike Jenks. You know, and and this has been coming for a long time, folks. Um, it just recently came to a head this year and a lot of people were saying well this has been this has been needed for this program for the last 2 years and we have never been the right it's never been the right process for us i like what carl polini is bringing to this program so far it's five five games this is an audition for him um what i'm hearing out of things right now is that one of the coordinators from Ohio State could be an option. We don't know yet, but um, you know it. It was time for Jenks to go, and I, I respect Buchner's decision. I also respect, you know, the, the 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 president of the university and his commitment to this. You know, it's good to see that. You know, and I think he saw this coming because of the fact that the student body wasn't at the games and they weren't at the game this upcoming weekend. A lot of them left about halftime in the game and they thought that we got the W, but they didn't get the W done. And they, Of course, they lose 
to Western Michigan at homecoming. And this was a big game. This was the game that they had to win. And they couldn't get the job done. They absolutely couldn't get the job done. And um, it cost it cost Jenks his job. It really did. And um, so there's that for you. But so the idea tonight of Andy Grant's is this. It's twofold. One, I'm glad that you know this podcast is starting to get headway with a lot of people. And we're becoming more and more understandable and more more outreaching to people. The fact that this show and the amount of listens I've been having the last few weeks, getting the stats and everything like that, it's absolutely tremendous. And I want to thank you, the listener, for you know stepping up, helping this cause out of getting the getting BG on the right page about this. And for me, you know, let's keep it going. Let's hope that we can finish this finish this season strong. And um, as a BG fan, a BG alum, this is this is a big, big, big thing. So, so you figured this. You know, we're getting more and more evidence now of the Save the Crew situation and Jimmy Haslam and everything. But we finally know where they want to put the arena, the new stadium at. And it's close to Columbus, to, to the Jackets. There's a plot of land between, between Nationwide and... You know, right along the railroad cross, railroad tracks, further down from Nationwide. I think that's a great decision. If they get that land right there, you'll have sports happening in that area, in that community, in that area all year round. You'll have the Clippers in the spring and summer. You also have you also have the crew in the spring, summer, and fall. And then you've got the crew of the fall with the Jackets plague. Downtown Columbus in that area will be absolutely fantastic to see. And I can't wait. I, I hope that this Haslam and the partnership all work out. I really, really do. I really, really do. I absolutely, really, really hope that this works. Because the crew need to be in Columbus. And they need to stay in Columbus. So... We'll see what happens. And that's going to wrap it up for all ENDL for tonight. We'll be back on the air Friday, of course, for our Falcon Friday edition of the program. Follow me on Facebook. Find me on Facebook at Andy Alfred. And send a friend request. We'll put you on. We'll get you set up for the Friday show. It will be a live tape show, unedited, uninterrupted. You and me, questions and answers. And you'll also hear my football picks as well as so much more if you can't be a part of the the facebook live show of course we tape the show for the anchor network it will be on the air for you later on in the evening so until i talk to you guys on friday this is andy elford saying i'm pulling for you we're all in this together the game of life keep your stick on the ice and to your teams that you root for at home and to my teams the jackets go jackets i'll see you thursday night at, i'll see you and watch you thursday night against philadelphia Go walleye. Go fish. 
go Falcons. Let's go Buckeyes. And let's go State. And let's go Crew. Victory is sweet. And here we go, Brownies. Here we go. And let's go, Lions. Big week. We'll talk about that on Friday's show. But until then, I'm pulling for, like I said, pulling for you all this together. Game of life. And victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat. Have a great evening, everybody, and a great rest of the week. I'll talk to you guys live on Friday for a special edition of Falcon Friday edition of All Andy Alfred. Love you, babe. Talk to you then. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alfred Network, powered by Anchor.